Is it me? Am I the drama? This isn't something most teachers ask themselves. But what if I told you there are some things that you might be doing to sabotage your student's independence? In this Behavior Bites episode with Dan St. Romain, we'll explore ways to help your students become more independent and less needy. You're listening to Elevating Early Childhood, where we believe in leveling the playing field and bridging the gap between the world of preschool, pre-K, and K-12 education. I'm your host, Vanessa Levin, and I went from a pre-K teacher of 20 years to a passionate advocate for high-quality early childhood education. I truly believe that the work you do, yes, you as an early childhood professional, is absolutely crucial, not just for your students, but society as a whole. I believe that you deserve to have the tools and training that you need to do your job well, so you can really embody your role as a professional educator and your students can achieve their true potential. Listen in each week as I bring you real conversations with me and other early childhood teachers and experts where our mission is to guide you on your journey to becoming the most well-equipped and highly trained professional educator you can possibly be. All while helping you teach smarter, not harder, so you can live more. And there might even be a little humor thrown in here and there just to keep things light and fun. If you'd like to get started upping your early literacy game today, check out my book, Teach Smarter, Literacy Strategies for Early Childhood Teachers on Amazon. All right, so Dan, welcome back to the Behavior Bites series. And we are so excited to have you here again. Your episodes have been so well received. And you and I have been talking about, you know, what we're going to be discussing during these Behavior Bites. And in the first episode of your Behavior Bites series, we talked about small groups, like how do you help children gain independence during that time? And I kind of thought maybe now we could move towards how teachers can just encourage independence and maybe decrease dependence in this episode because there's so much more of the day than just small group time, right? Like how do we encourage this independence? What do you think? I think that's important, but you know, now I have to be really honest with you and be very vulnerable, which I'm not great at, Vanessa. Okay. You know, what I realized is as a parent and as a dad, there are a lot of traps that I get into and I think teachers inadvertently without meaning to do a lot of things that encourage kids to be dependent. And I, we all know that parents very well intentioned do that. And so I think one of the best ways that we can encourage independence Mm -hmm. is to look at some of our practices that are doing the opposite. Okay. Vanessa, have you ever had a child walk up to you and put their tennis shoe in your face. Like they don't (laughs) even say anything. They just lift their foot up and put it right in your face. I know. And I I can't even tell you the number of times this happened to me over the years, Dan. And Vanessa, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for a lot of teachers in watching teachers. When a child walks up and they put their shoe right in front of your face and they don't even say anything, what do teachers do almost immediately? I would say the average teacher would tie it. Yeah, they would tie my, the shoe. You my know answer would be means? different. <laughs> we we do that for them. We t- you know why, Vanessa? I got thirty minutes for lunch, and I yeah. only 
25 now because it took us five minutes to get lined up. And if I try to work through this problem, it's another five minutes of my lunch and I have earned my lunch. I want to eat my food in yes. peace. So I'm going to tie that shoe. I'm not saying that is right or wrong. I am simply saying that when we do that, we rob kids of the opportunity to work through that. Right. So doing far is a really, really, really big trap that we have to be careful of. So when we do things for kids, and there's so many examples of that, when we, sure. you know, zip zip codes and butt buttons and and pull things out of the backpack, and and I know it's it's an issue of time. Your viewers and teachers are just so incredibly short on time. Right. It's easier and it is faster in the short term to just do things far and and quickly wrap up the problem the problem is every time every time we do something for a child we're encouraging them to come back to us right to do far and we right. all dealt with that so one trap is doing far so then you say well so what should we do well vanessa what did you do when a child would put their shoe you said i didn't do that but i know a lot of people <laughs> did how would you handle that, Vanessa? I'll throw it back on you. Well, I think it depends on what time of the year, um, because I had to build up to this. Uh, but one of the things I would always say was to uh, be kind of funny and go, P-U. <laughs> and then I would say, what should we do? Right. And they would say, oh, I'm supposed to ask a friend. And now this obviously not in the beginning of pre-K four, because that's not a, it's not a developmental expectation that they even tie their shoes in pre-K four. But there was always a kid who was the oldest kid in the class sometimes and that always figured it out at some point maybe they had oodles of older siblings or i don't know but there was usually somebody who by mid-year had figured it out and so that was my shoe tire and uh because i can't tell you anything worse that happens in the classroom than having to tie a wet shoelace <laughs> So that's what I did. I would just kind of make fun of, not make light of it rather, and remind that would remind them of the procedure and what were they supposed to do, right? And then of course, uh, everybody gets tired of being asked to tie their shoes all the time. That it would kind of motivate them to like want to kind of at least learn more about it or become interested in it. So I don't know if I did what what I, what I did was right or wrong, but it's what I did. <laughs> well, first thing I'm going to tell you is you went back to a place of joy. You used humor to diffuse the situation, which is always good because young children, their natural state is joy. And so I always want to bring them back to that. But then you were able to draw attention away from that and remind them of the procedure and give them strategies where they could work through it with help and support. Mm -hmm. So one thing is helping kids be able to do things on their own. And you bring up a good point, Vanessa, which is one of the best ways to do that is to build in very specific procedures that allow them to be able to accomplish some of these tasks on their own. Mm -hmm. Now that's one trap, but the bigger trap, Vanessa, and this is a really challenging one just because so much of this is built into our school system. It's not one of the traps is doing things for kids. Another trap is doing things to kids. And you're like, doing two? What do you mean? Right. So my favorite example of this is when my son Micah was in third grade and he had done something. And I said, do you want me to send you to your room? And he said, dad. And I said, go to your room. My wife came home and she said, where's Micah? And I said, well, he's in his room. So she went upstairs and she talked to Micah. She came back down and she was laughing. And I said, what's so funny? She said, nothing. And I said, what's so funny? She said, I asked Micah, 
Micah, why are you in your room? And he said, because your husband sent me. <laughs> I like and Micah. <laughs> and then burst into laughter. And she said he was implying that had I married someone else, maybe he wouldn't be in his room. <laughs> now, I tell that story so often and we laugh about it. But in Micah's mind, the reason he was in his room is not because he made a bad choice. Right. The reason he was in his room is because he had a mean father that punished him. And I think sometimes when we say things like, do you want to go to timeout? Do you right. want to get thicker? And we're doling all that out. We are the wizard, you know, the wizard of Oz. We're the right. wizard that's pulling all the strings and we're in control. And I think sometimes when we get very heavy handed with our punishments and very hand heavy handed with our rewards, it pulls control away from kids. So that when we're doing things like that, now I will say you and I both have a colleague, Joe Mascaro, wonderful mm -hmm. behavior consultant. And she'll always say, what is your behavior telling me? And they're like, well, well when you're running in the halls, it, you're telling me. When, and the way she phrases things, it puts it back on the child. You know, when we are running, you're telling me that we need to go back and walk. And so a lot of it sometimes is in our wording. But I just think we have to be careful because when we're doling out punishments and rewards, it puts us in control rather right. than the child. Does that make any sense at all? Absolutely. A hundred percent. So I, I am a big fan of sort of moving away from that into rather than rewarding and punishing. You and know, I talk about this a lot. I want kids to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Right. I go to more of a problem solving mode of. You know, Michael, let's talk about what just happened. This is not I'm sending you to the cool down corner. This is let's talk about what's going on and how can we work together to solve the problem? So mm -hmm. it, it moves kids away from I'm going to solve the problem by doing something to them. Mm -hmm. And it puts it more into a neutral place where we're going to talk and come up to, with the answer together. Yeah. So one trap is doing two or four and the other trap is doing two. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense because if we really want to encourage kids to be independent, we want to in then involve them in that process of being independent. Right. And so that makes perfect sense to me. The way I'm going to um, phrase that I tell parents and teachers do more things with children and less things to children. Right. And the older we are, the harder that is because I was raised in a generation of if you don't, I'm going to. Right. We, I grew up in a generation of doing two, but if we want self-regulation, meaning kids being able to solve problems on their own, then we have to have conversations with them and involve them in the process, like you say, so mm -hmm. they are better able to do that. Ever find yourself dreading the school bell? No, not the one in the morning. I'm talking about the afternoon. You know, the bell that lets you know your littles are gone for the day and you can get back to that mountain of planning and prep work on your desk after that staff meeting, of course. Some things are just unavoidable for early ed teachers, just like those pesky staff meetings, but being overworked and overwhelmed doesn't have to be part of the job. Not if you've got the right combination of knowledge, curriculum, and support. That's where the Teaching Trailblazers program comes in. It's the program for pre-K teachers who want to bring their A-game to their students and still have a life. Go to teachingtrailblazers.com to apply today. Yeah, and it's so much easier said than done, too. If you come from a background when you were growing up of doing, of having this done to you or, you know, just seeing that that is the norm. And now when you're in the classroom, you know, your gut instinct is to do the same thing, right? I think that a lot of us fall back on that, uh, the way that we were raised type of a thing. But 
actually we have to really try and break that habit because we now know uh, that the way you really get things done, I mean, there's no, there's no parenting manual that you don't, you don't come home from the hospital with the baby in a parenting manual, like don't do this, do this. It doesn't exist. So we're all doing the best we can. But I think that the way that, that you phrase it is, is absolutely perfect. Involving them, helping them take charge of their own independence is, is absolutely fantastic. But how do you do that, Dan? I mean, what is that? I am going to tell you that this all goes to the third aspect of this issue that I want to talk about. You know how we talked about doing far and doing two. There's another element of doing far that takes it to a further degree. So I'm going to, I'm going to rat out myself. (laughs) When my children were younger, we have four boys and we would put them all in the bathtub together. Uh-huh. And it was just easier for the four boys to, you know, bathe for, for us to get it all done together. So we put them all in the bathtub and my wife and I switched off nights where she would watch them one night. I would watch them the next. Well, when I was there, this happened so often, Vanessa, where Mark Daniel would look at me and say, dad, Micah took the soap. And guess what I would do? Micah, give him the soap back. <laughs> Two minutes later, Max, daddy. Matthew splashed water on me. Matthew, go to your side of the tub. You see, (laughs) Vanessa, I'm a problem solver. It is easier. I I just solve the problems for the kids. On my wife's bath night, night, my boys would look at my wife and say, Mom, he looked at me funny. And she would say, how do you think you should handle that? And she would go back to reading her book. And I always laughed about that because I, for the life of our children, have always been the problem solver in the family. 15 years later, 20 years later now, I am doing a big keynote at a, at a at some conference and I see my phone rings and I look down and it's vibrated and my son Mark called me. Well, my son Mark never calls me. So we quickly went to break. I said, all right, everyone, let's go to break. And I ran behind the screen and I called Mark Daniel. And you know what Mark said to me? What? Dad, Micah took my iPod. <laughs> Now, I am nine states away from my family. And I said, well, where's your mother? And he said, right here. You want to talk to her? Oh, my. (laughs) I heard my wife laughing hysterically. And I said, yes. And she got on the phone and she said, you know, Dan, for now nine, 12 years, you've been solving problems for our kids. And for nine years, I've been telling them, how do you think you can handle that? So Mark Daniel came up to my wife and said, mom. Micah took my iPod and I said, she said, I told him, how are you going to solve that problem? And he said, I'll call dad. (laughs) And I tell that story all the time because what I'm going to tell you, Vanessa, is doing far. There's a longer piece of doing far, which is solving problems for kids. When they come up to you, Miss Levin, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? And every time we jump in and we intervene by completely taking over the problem, we own the solution. Uh If we own the problem, we own the solution. So when a child comes up and says, he looked at me funny and we say, Michael, stop looking at him funny. Uh Or we see two kids in line and they're, they're, you know, jockeying for a position. You're like, Kelsey, go here. Tyshawn, move to the front. Every time we solve a specific problem, we rob kids of the opportunity to work Uh through the problem on their own. Yeah. And I've talked about this a lot with you, Vanessa, but you know, when I was younger, I rode my bike all over town. And if I had a problem, I couldn't look to my mom to solve the problem. Uh-huh. I had to figure out how to solve the problem on my own because the, my mom wasn't right there. Uh-huh. So when you ask me, well, Dan, how do we 
how do we encourage kids doing for themselves? We have to make sure that when problems arise at all levels, we're encouraging dialogue and we're using phrases like, how do you think you can solve that problem? What can you do? Let's think about it. Are there any pictures we can look at in the room to figure out how to do that? It's just like if a child comes up to you, Vanessa, and says, Miss Levin, do you like my picture? You know what I used to say? Oh, I love your picture. And mm -hmm. I own that. Now when a kid comes up and says, Mr. St. Romain, do you like my picture? I'll say, what do you think about your picture? Mm -hmm. And I have them look inward. I want them to always look inward and solve their own problems. So when kids come up with any issue of independence, I always go back to what can you do to solve that problem? How can Mr. St. Romain help? Mm -hmm. So specific strategy is making sure that we're not diving in and intervening. And your Vanessa, your teachers see it all the time. They see a line that's crooked and they say, John over here, Bob, like we, we are problem solvers because we right. want to get things going. But sometimes we just have to stop, don't intervene and let the kids work through the issue with our yeah. monitor. And we only jump in if we need to. Right. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense, Dan. And I'll out myself as well as the first few years of my career, I definitely was a problem solver, right? And then I had the year, every teacher has one, whether it's your first year or your fifth year, it doesn't matter. But I had a year where I had a child in my classroom who it challenged me to the extreme, right? And it was constant nonstop for my other students. He's touching me. He's, 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 or his name, his name, his name. And it, it was to the point where I was going to lose my mind. And so I said to the children, you're going to have to take ownership of some of this. So how did that make you feel? He's looking at me. How did it make you feel? What, what should you do about it? We would practice and model. Like, what do you do if he's doing this, that, or the other to you? Pushing in line, pushing you out of the way for a drink at the drinking fountain. He's not sharing his blocks. He, 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 he what do you do? And we would just model, model, model. And by the end of the year, my kids were so independent. They would look at him and go, I don't like that. Stop it. <laughs> you know, and that's not something you expect from four-year-olds all the time. And, and so that at the end of the year, I was like, wow, you know, maybe I should continue doing this, you know, and just go, it, it worked, right? And so kind of out of necessity, I became more supportive of kids being independent because they had worked so well in that situation. And unfortunately that wasn't the last of that kind of child that I had. So it served me well over the years, but I think that that is super important. I learned a lesson and I know this is silly, but um, there's a show, I forget what it's called. Um, oh, I can't even think of what the, the show is called. It's a funny show on TV. But they, they play a little silly laughter skit where you can only ask questions. So someone asks you a question, you ask them a question. And the first I person, they're, they're, you know, I can't even think of the, the name of the show. But the reason I tell you that is that taught me when I was watching that show, a lot of times as teachers, what we do is we answer, answer questions, answer questions. And what I've had to really do is adjust and get into the habit of asking more questions. Yeah. So a very specific strategy is, when kids come up to you, if you can turn on the question mode, mm -hmm. then it always puts it back into the court of the child. What can we do about that? What can you do about that? How can you solve that problem? I wonder where you can look. So question mode keeps the ownership of the problem yeah. in that neutral space or on the child. But the second you answer it, you start to own all the problems. Mm -hmm. And what happens is the more you solve problems for our kids, the more likely kids are going to be to come to you to solve their problem. 
Right. And then we send mixed messages and we do that with forgive me tattling where a kid will come up and say, mm -hmm. you know, you'll say, Michelle, when a problem happens like that, come and tell me that happened. And Michelle comes up and says, he looks at me funny and you say, ignore it. You're the better person. You know, so sometimes sometimes we give kids mixed messages because we tell right. them to come and talk to us and tell us. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes that doesn't always play out the way that we hoped it would. So more questions and less right. answers is a very good specific strategy that encourages kids to more independently right. solve their own problems. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a mindset shift too because we constantly want to get kids to stop doing something that gets in the way of us doing our job. Like I want them to be quiet. I want them to sit down. I want them to listen. How do I get them to stop interrupting me? How do I get them to stop, stop, stop? And the answer to all of those is we teach, right? We're gonna teach them how to solve these problems on their own. So if they're constantly needing us and interrupting us, then we need to teach them how to be more independent. If they're constantly, you know, complaining about a certain kid or his certain behavior, then we're gonna teach them how to deal or respond to that behavior. And part of that teaching might even be, you know, first you tell him how this makes you feel, you tell him to stop it. If he doesn't stop it, then you, you come to see an adult or whatever, you know, it could even be part of that. But nine times out of 10, when you look at another child in the eye and you say very firmly, as another child speaking to the child, stop it, I don't like that, you know, and then very firmly say that, they might, you know, they're gonna stop, right? I mean, that's my experience. I'm sure there's a child out there who defies that, and I've had a few over in my day, but I'm just saying that teaching them how to, to respond to some of these things is gonna help them throughout their lives, don't you think? Absolutely, you know, you know this, Vanessa, but as, as I talk all the time and I tell the parents this, I tell the kids this, we're not always going to be there. That's another reason why I have a problem with the yeah. rewards and the stickers and the punishments is, mm -hmm. you know, that's very externally driven. But the bottom line is I'm not always going to be there to give them a sticker. I'm not always going to be there to put them in a timeout. I'm not always going to be there to solve the line problem. My wife and I laugh about this because when I was working with younger children, she was teaching fifth grade and she said, why do you put our kids, why do you put the kids in your classroom in a line? I'm like, well, for order. And she said, okay. She said, so can you not get order without putting them in the line? She said, what do you mean? I said, she said, we have four children. When we go to the, you know, the grocery store, do you say line up? And I'm like, well, no, she said, and our fifth graders, and I know they're fifth graders. She said, but they're going to sixth grade. They're not going to be having someone tell them, get in line, put your hands in your lap. And so she said, as they move through the grade levels, we've got to continuously move them towards independence because the worst thing we can do is solve every problem for them. And then they go to the next school or whatever, the rug is pulled out and they have to solve their own problems, but they've had no problem or no right. practice doing that. Absolutely. So I know your viewers are three to five-year-olds, so we don't want to pull the rug out too soon. But the more that we can start providing opportunities for them to solve their own problems, the more we're going to give them the foundation they need to be able to independently solve problems as they move forward. That's awesome. I think that this is such an important message for our viewers and listeners to take away because I see this happening time and time again, day in, day out. And we are, I mean, preschool teachers usually, typically, it's their, it's their nature is to be nurturing, right? 
that I think that you can't really work with three to five year olds unless you have this nurturing side to you. And so we come, we come to it from, I've heard you say this before, we come to it from a place of love, right? Where we want to help children. We, we like children. We want them to be happy. And so we, we get in this habit of solving all their problems when we could actually be helping them more by teaching them how to be independent and therefore solving their own problem. It's gonna serve them throughout their entire lives, right? Correct, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's, that's our ultimate goal is not that they're successful in our classroom. Obviously we want them to be successful in our classroom, but our long-term goal is that they're successful outside of our classroom when we're not there. Yeah. And so the more we can help them be independent, the better and more likely that's going to be to happen. Tell us where, if folks want to continue this conversation with you, tell us where they can find you. Absolutely. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, I'm on Facebook. And then of course they can also just go to my website, which is my name. If they Google my name, it pops right up. So any of those places um, are places they can reach out to find me. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, and thank you to all of our listeners and our viewers out there for joining us for this Behavior Bites series. Don't forget, if you missed any of the previous Behavior Bites, you can go back and watch or listen to them again right now. Make sure you subscribe because we will be having more wonderful uh, things in store for you for the rest of this school year and next year as well. So you don't want to miss any of our episodes. Until next time, I'm Vanessa Levin. And this is Dance Ain't Remain. If you love what you've learned in this episode, you've got to come check out the Teaching Trailblazers program. Teaching Trailblazers is the place for teachers like you to get the professional development, resources, and support you need to thrive. It's where you can learn relevant, life-changing best practices with professional development created specifically around the challenges early childhood teachers face. It's where you can get access to a complete research-based pre-K curriculum that you can use to supplement your existing curricula or use on its own to get 100% of your students kindergarten ready by the end of the year. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things early childhood with other teachers just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will rock your teacher world, I guarantee it. Come join us at teachingtrailblazers.com to get more information and apply. That's teachingtrailblazers.com. I can't wait to see you there.